the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 142, recorded Saturday, May 10th, 2014. With all due respect, AV Week is brought to you by Middle Atlantic Products, who invite you to stop by their new customer-focused website, Middle Atlantic Products, what great systems are built on. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tom Albright. Greetings, good morning or afternoon, depending on where you are uh, in the uh, Central, Eastern, or Pacific time zone. I'm in the Central, so technically it's still morning, but the two guests I have have braved the early mornings of the West Coast. So thank you, guys. Uh, first up is Mr. Rich Fergoza from FergozaDesign.com. Uh, <laughs> Jeez Louise. Uh, he is uh, oh, he's a programmer extraordinaire. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's a Saturday morning, and the uh, I think it's my first ever Uncle Richie No Pants podcast. <laughs> Thank you for so. that. Good <laughs> Lord. There's an image that I will not get out of my head anytime soon, much like the Let It Go song from Frozen. Okay. Um, my kids were watching Disney this morning, and it's still in there. Um, I won't sing it for you, though. Uh, Do you want to go to uh, Starbucks? Uh, nice. Um, next up is Josh Shirago. Josh has a website of his own. It's called soundreason.org, an audio genius. He also has a fancy schmancy Infocom class if you haven't filled up your dance card yet for Infocom. So how are you, sir? Doing well. I haven't let it go yet today. Thank so you. I'm, uh, still holding on. <laughs> nice. What's your, what's your class and how can people sign up for it? Um, you can attend my class. It is IS043. It'll be on June 19th, which is Thursday of the show at 10.30 a.m. And you can register at infocomshow.org and just go into the university class registration. Uh, also, it looks like I will be speaking. Schedule is still a little tentative, but it looks like I will be speaking at some point during the show at the Audinate booth. Wow. So that will be fun Fancy. for me as well. Yes. Look at you go. We have actual professionals on our podcast. Uh, God all of, forbid. All of our AV Nation podcasts are brought to you by Middle Atlantic uh, and their new customer-focused website, Middle Atlantic Products, what great systems are built on. Um, you know what? When we started out the week and I, I scheduled you guys, I was like, you know, there's not really a whole lot going on. Oh, wait. But then <laughs> the last two days, holy cow. Uh, I'm going to kick it off with Apple just because it's a bigger... They're a bigger company. Eh, that can be debated. They're a bigger company than Samsung. We'll get to the Samsung one here in a second. But uh, uh, Apple is purchasing um, the most fashionable uh, headsets uh, and and, um, um, headphones in the world for $3.2 billion. This is according to USA Today. That's right. They are buying Beats. Now, part of this, uh, actually, Dr. Dre gets to be on the board or has some uh, gets to be a, an Apple employee of some sort, uh, according to, again, USA Today. Please so, make him a genius at the genius <laughs> That <part>. would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That would be awesome. Um, so first question is, uh, it, 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 both of you are around Silicon Valley and around Apple. Rich, we'll start with you. Is this a good idea? I mean, is this is this a good purchase by Apple? And you know, if so, what what exactly? Uh, what's the point behind it? I guess what's what's the driving force? Uh, you know, the first analogy that I had when I thought about this, and again, kind of reading um, kind of the buzz in the valley, is buying. You know, everybody's out. Oh my gosh, they're buying Beats, and and Beats is synonymous right now with headphones. You know, especially yeah. in the urban market. Um, a lot of the conjecture right now is much like when Google bought Nest. Um, they're not quite buying the product so much as they're buying some mind share and some access. And and a lot of people are pointing not towards Dre, but towards uh, Tommy Yovin or mm. Iovine, I- mm-hmm. um, Tommy Iovine, um, who you know co-founded Beats with it, and and really for his connections because iTunes is just it's floundering, and everybody knows it. Um, one of the, you know, so there's there's this two-part thing that's going on that, that, you know, that came up as I was reading and doing some research on it. One was that Beats um, has, I think it was like a 74% share of the urban market um, in headphones. Jeez. I mean, some ridiculous amount. And uh, when you push that towards how like the iPhone is able to reach the market, I think iPhones only are, have about like 22% uh, um, penetration in the urban market. So by bringing Beats and by bringing a different look potentially to Apple, they're potentially going to be able to open up into markets that they've never been able to hit before. So a lot of it winds up being how are we going to be able to acquire companies to get into it. Second was with um, Tommy Iovina. I'm going to keep mangling his name. Um, is that his connections. And part of it is they're hoping that he will be able to get farther than a lot of the Apple executives have been able to with Hollywood and with the music industry. Uh, because everything's moving to streaming. I think, what yeah. was it, year over year streaming has gone up like 46% and iTunes and their adoption rate has dropped like 20%. So again, the math's not lying here. I, I think Apple is making some moves, not even because they want to, but because they have to. They have to be seen as moving forward. They haven't made any huge acquisitions. Google's getting a lot of the press, and they're trying to. I think what's what we're going to wind up seeing is seeing at some point kind of a whole brand new iTunes coming out hmm. and starting to leverage what this Apple TV experiment. Again, all of these things seem to be coming together. Um, you know, Amazon tried releasing their device. Uh, you know, all of these things that I'm looking at and people that I've been talking to is, you know, is this going to be their push into the eyes, ears, and hearts of this next generation coming through? Um, and finding something that has Apple cachet, but at the same time, you know, they can reach into markets, much again like the urban market, where they just they're they're just not making that much headway. It's interesting that that they would have to buy another company to get the youth market, because ten years ago they owned it, right? I mean, you know, yeah. five years ago they owned it. That was mm-hmm. the uh, the i first of all the iPod, and then the, obviously the iPhone. That was the device to have. But I think you're right. Uh, the urban market they they have sorely lacked. They yeah. Some one of the reports that I said was that uh, that I was reading was said uh, it's like a seventy four seventy two percent Android to Apple um, in in urban areas and again with the urban market and yeah. so uh, you know so they're they're trying desperately find ways to because again they're not going to make a brand new Apple isn't necessarily going to come out with something new and revolutionary again you know in the oh, near future that we know about maybe. I mean, just because Mr. Jobs died doesn't mean that their 
brain trust went away, does it, Rich? <laughs> I, I'm asking very carefully. Um, I guess we'll find out. Oh, you know, um, there's you know there's a lot of people that left Apple. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there's a it's, lot of smart guys that aren't there anymore. It's and, been an exodus. It really yeah. has been. And so it's it's you know kind of the equivalent of what happens when your founders go you know and you leave it to that next group and so you know Tim Cook is a fantastic executive but he's probably going to be remembered as the guy who kind of maintained the company as opposed to grew or or you know caused kind of the rebirth of the company. Well, and tying in with what you're giving here in terms of the marketing aspect, look at the fact that uh, Steve Jobs' keeper after 18 years resigned this week. The, the woman in charge of keeping the gates closed and keeping people out, she resigned. She After 18 years, she's done. And all of a sudden, immediately after that, they go out and they purchase something to help them expand market share. But I mean, I, I, this 74% statistic is slightly misleading due to the fact of look at the cost of an Apple device and look at the cost of a low-cost Android. Yeah. I mean, there is there is a monetary factor in there that has to be kind of considered because Apple don't sell cheap product, period. I, I would say yes, I agree with that. But again, look at, it comes back to um, urban cachet. You know, you will have people who are walking around with $300 and $400 pair of beats, teenagers yeah. Oh, yeah. walking around with those. So I, I think that that's actually a, a very important number to look at because they will invest those discretionary dollars in that segment because again it's much like wearing the coach and the pro you know my wife teaches oh. in the inner city you know it's so the, i see uh, this firsthand and i see you know 14 year old kids whose outfits their one outfit that they are wearing costs more than probably my entire wardrobe <laughs> oh and well i mean it goes back to the old sprite slogan image is nothing thirst is everything right you know it's yeah. it's they want uh they, they want that image they want that picture of the status symbol that comes with it. I mean, what was you and I get all the same news since we're out of the Bay Area, but how, what's the statistic right now as to how many, uh, as to thefts and assaults are based on smartphone stealing? I mean, that's just, that's that that status symbol and that image is, is what people are after right now. And it, it comes into that, but you know, you go back into the, looking at it from the other aspect of it, beyond the image. I mean, you're, you're getting a company uh, beats, which while it has a reputation, their product has actually diminished in quality because 18 months ago, their partnership with Monster ended, which means the hardware went to crap. Um, Monster makes a better product. Yeah. In fact, I saw um, an article in Forbes about this where, he, where one of the guys said, well, if you're going to buy it for the hardware, why not just buy Monster? It's cheaper. <laughs> uh, but granted, there was also an uneducated aspect of that where he said, well, you could also just go out and buy Shure or Sennheiser. I mean, they would be less expensive. Mm, not so sure about that, but and plus Apple wouldn't know what to do with the rest of the stuff that they make. Uh, but there's also a point in here because we've talked about you know talking about the headphones as as they are as a status symbol and as a, as a as urban share and all those kinds of things. But also add in there's one other thing in here which I haven't seen anybody write about, which is the, remember the partnership that Beats had with HP. They went in and oh, started with yeah. HTC, wasn't it? HTCs? No, 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 no. It was, not it was mobile. HP. Not mobile. The HP. HP PCs. Yep. 
when they were making the sound cards and putting Beats Audio in PCs. That's right. Think about how crappy a native Apple sound card is. Why Apple's notorious for making a product that is really good at talking to other really expensive things. That's what they're very, very good at. But the actual native hardware for their sound has always been a little iffy. That's why uh, when Pro Tools, you know, Pro Tools blew up in the home recording world and in the studio recording world as an app on a Mac platform, you don't see people that do the recording with anything native to Apple. It's always external. So now if you're going to be in Beats Audio and you're able to implement that into already existing PCs, this could help in terms of uh, their PC sales, they might be, or their laptop sales. So it could help improve on the MacBook in terms of the quality of what they're producing there, which again ties right back into your idea, uh, Rich, about the fact that we're going to get probably a new iTunes based on the fact that it's a stale model it's updated every four months, and it just pisses people off even more every single time. So well, and look at look at how 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 bad iTunes Radio tanked. You know, I mean, yeah. it's you know, I mean, they pushed it out. And and another part of it, keep in mind, Beats a year and a half ago bought Mog, which was my favorite streaming service out there. I thought they were just beating everybody. And it, Mog based out of Berkeley. One of the reasons I think I liked them too is that they were local guys. Yeah. Um, well, so and then they just. What's that? Well, yeah. So it's Pandora. And, yeah, but I like it. I, more of a Berkeley thing than a San Francisco <laughs> thing, man. Uh, Pandora's Oakland. That's true. They're oh, down the street. Wait, wait, wait. So Pandora's Oakland, and you'd prefer... Oh, come on, Rich. Yeah. Where's the native love? <laughs> See, I'm a, Pan, I'm a Pandora guy. I, I I have been for years. As a matter of fact, I, I, I buy their, their premium service premium service it's it's 35 bucks a year for crying out loud for not getting ads that's you know first of all it's cheap and it's great you know but go ahead are you finished yes yes so I'm your, finished. Mog? Go ahead. your mog <laughs> your mog <laughs> half man half dog yeah i guess it, yeah, exactly um but you know they launched beats music and and i i've you know i, I subscribed to all of them because again we're testing all of them and it's you know, supposedly the concept for it, you know, Trent Reznor came on as like the chief creative officer and it's going to be moderated by music studio executives, all of these things. I don't know if it's necessarily working. I know that the artists are really excited about what Beats Music could represent. Um, and so, again, I think that Apple is just kind of reaching out and saying, we've got all of these things that really aren't working. If we can bring some people who understand the music industry better. Perhaps it'll again. I, it, my gut feeling is that there's going to be something drastic going on with iTunes in the next few years. You know, if they're going to spend this kind of money, they need to. I mean, they're going to have to come out with something to justify to the shareholders why they spent 3.2 billion dollars on what everybody's seen as just a headphones company. Yeah. Well, and I, so, Rich, have you played with the Beats streaming service at this point? Yes, I was actually. I I ran. I was uh, using the beta. Uh, how, how is the user interface? Uh, I, I show you. So the way the inter interface is weird in that when you first sign up, the first thing it asks you is like, okay, who are some of the artists you like? What do you like to do? Do you like to kick back in the crib? Do you like to go ahead and drive in? And, and I mean, look, did seriously, they really, and it's did like they this, really use the term crib? Oh, jeez. I mean, there's like five hundred different demo. adjectives. They know um, their demo. And. It was this, originally it was kind of like, the, the when you first sign up, it's like this guided wizard with like really weird shimmery, so, I mean, it was like, it was like going to a, you had to go through a rave to start your music service at that point. 
Um, you know, everything was kind of shimmery and bubbly, and it's very heavy on, you know, just like the moving graphics and keeping it slick and packaged. And what it does, rather than starting you out, you know, going to the artist or artist radio, like the first thing that they killed, they killed artist radio. There's no artist radio function on it. So, mm-hmm. like, much like Pandora or iTunes radio or Mog or a lot of these services, you know, a lot of what I do is just that. You know, you can either, you know, start with just that artist or like that artist, you know, kind of like the Amazon yeah. model. Mm-hmm. Their their purpose right now and what they're really looking for is we have all of these people that have really cool music and we're going to curate it for you. And then we're going to go ahead and present you music in a way based around all of these, um, you know, they're, they're basically setting the metrics with the adjectives at that point. And then they're trying to match it to the genre and the artist and the style and everything else. I mean, you can see, you know, the, the algorithms that are going on behind it. But in terms of the front layer package, they're, you know, trying to make it like, you know, almost like this club feel. I mean, it, that's the only that's the only thing that I could think of when I was first using it. Um, so far, you know, maybe it's because, it, you know, my generation, I, I don't listen or, or uh, you know, interact with music that way. Maybe it just didn't work for me. And, you know quite likely you know again we were talking about like last week is that i've exited the market demographic you know i'm over that you know (laughs) that part of the hump of you know they they may not want my money um they might want somebody else's money and so um you know we played with it we still use it there's been an update i mean beats just signed a um an agreement with at&t for your family plan so like for Hmm. 14.99 you can have up to four people on your cell plan with beats um So, you know, they, they've reached out and they've got these partnerships, and I think maybe that's where they're missing. There's such a great marketing machine that I think the it's almost interesting is that the executives in Beats get the marketing and the music and, and the demographic, the, that you know, the, the, the youth market right, but they may not have the back-end side to be able to deal with tech correctly. And Apple deals with tech correctly, but may not have that artist... Um, and that marketing cachet with that market. And so, you know, for me, I think it's going to be, it, it'll come back to that mind share. You're going to get people who are going to be crossing and you're going to get the more of the music people working on the music and, and movie stuff in iTunes. And you're going to get the tech people working more on the back end stuff with the Beats product. Based on what you just said about how they set it up when it first starts, the first thought that popped into the back of my mind, though, was this is an initial set of product. And then once it goes, it's less, uh, it's, it's less interactive in terms of as you go through it of, oh, I like this artist, I don't like this artist, I like this song, I don't like this song, as Pandora and iTunes Radio and all of the other ones seem to be. Uh, there's a part of me that, init- that that when I heard you just explain the setup, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you sit in your home, you do this initial setup, then you go out and you connect to the iPlatform in your car, which is what they are pushing right now. And that would actually be, it, it, it actually provides a little bit safer uh, user interaction because you're not just sitting there reaching over to a touch panel to rate something while you're driving. It's a little bit more intuitive based on the way that you're describing these algorithms based on how you react on the initial setup factor. So that might be a little interesting, you know, I guess I'm, I'm jumping out even farther on my limb of speculation and I'm about to fall off and die, oh, but... no, you're fine. <laughs> I like that. Well, all right. it's, it's just, it's a thought. It, it is a thought. I, I like that. So, all right, um, let's move on to the other yes. big story that, that <laughs> yeah. happened. Here, here's, here's for me, my sentence. For the way that I want to play my music is based on a sentence. I'm on a rooftop and feel like making bad choices with my friends to oldies. And then I can push play the sentence and it 
builds an algorithm playlist based on things like that. Wow. Why are you on a roof making bad choices? Making bad choices, yeah. Uh, Because I can choose the rooftop, the gym, in the car. So again, the the algorithm is based on all of these items and it and it stacks them together to keep dropping you further and further into a genre for me it doesn't work you and know, i'm I, like yeah and that's and again i see this working in such a mobile platform in terms of car like there was that little kicked under the rug story about apple and tesla apple and tesla and it really got kicked under the rug but can you see how that platform would just play in that environment? Yeah, but what, Songza already tried it, and and they're you know I mean they crashed and burned miserably. I mean who even knows about Songza, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that was the that was you know their big cachet. But remember they had billboards all over the 101 at one point, you know, and, you know trying to tout that and didn't catch. So mm-hmm. maybe it will, you know, maybe they they figure that they've tapped into it. I, it's going to be an interesting year, but I would say that it's going to be at least a year before we see anything oh, yeah. substantial. Oh, yeah, because yeah, the deal has to go through and then all the changes and everything have to happen. So. And all the people at Beats have to be brainwashed. I mean, really, you have to be initiated <laughs> into the cult of Apple. Or it's, fired, it's you know, or, or fired outright, you know, one of the yeah. two. Uh, all right, next story. Welcome to Beats Music. Yeah. I'm your Apple. I'm your Apple genius. Yeah. How may I help you? <laughs> all right, this is this this story made me sad by by no small stretch of the imagination. I was talking to my buddy, uh, my buddy Ted from Strategy, and uh, he goes, I'm, "I'm writing a story. I thought just of you. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it'll it'll just ruin your evening." And lo and behold, it ruined my morning. <laughs> Yesterday, Ted posts this: Samsung is cutting their investment in OLED. Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, if you've never listened to this podcast or this is your first time, I absolutely love the potential of OLED. I love it on so many different la- uh, ways. I'll post links to the really cool uh, YouTube videos of somebody taking a sledgehammer to an OLED um, display. and it, The color is gorgeous. Everything about it's gorgeous. Here's the problem. The geniuses that come up with the, these ideas initially are not the same geniuses that need to manufacture the stuff. And I've, I've learned that to, to much my dismay. Um, they can come up with some really great products and some really great ideas, but these aren't the, the uh, I guess, the manufacturing engineers is what we can call them. Uh, so Josh, uh, first I, a couple questions. Is this, is this the death knell for at least large format OLED? And, and are we just gonna maybe possibly get them in mobile and that's it? Uh, OLED is such a weird little thing because people don't generally know what to do with it just yet. Make a big and TV. That's what they should do with it. I know what they <laughs> should do with it. But the big question here and the thing that, that that comes up with OLED is how much are you willing to pay for that big LED TV? And uh, it's it's that price discrepancy which still it just it's too drastic still for the large format. Um, but when you look at the options that are still out there in terms of mobile, yes, I think OLED is going to find a home in mobile. I really believe that, mostly because uh, people are going to, as as OLED becomes more public and becomes more of uh, more knowledgeable to those that aren't in our industry, people are going to basically respond by saying, "Wait a minute, you mean I can have a screen that doesn't break when I drop my phone?" Yeah. What, what, why don't I have this now? What, where is this? Where, what, why doesn't this exist? And there's going to be a push for that. But it's, again, in small format. It's 
going to be more. The phones are going to climb in price. It's it's just the state of of affairs. But for the large format OLED stuff, there will eventually come a time where, as people get used to it in mobile and as it hangs around, it's going to linger. It's got to kind of eke its way into the into the mindset of people that this is an option. But the response. I mean, even going back to CES earlier this year, the response of curved TVs was pretty much flatline. It was very, yeah, it's great picture, it's great color, but it's curved. It, you know, it, it, people just didn't see the big to-do about it other than the, the, the contrast, other than the brighter, uh, the brighter colors, the, the more vibrant colors. They just, the responses I saw just from, even from CES, and this is, you know, and as, as we've seen the trend a lot these days, it's going consumer to commercial, and this is a product that is going to have to go consumer to commercial in order to be adopted. You really, really? I mean, because here's the thing: I, I see more. There's two things I see with with OLED. I see large format um, curved displays, honestly, for for digital signage. And the second thing I see, and this is where my 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 background in education, the coolest thing in the world would be to for for Draper to partner with Samsung and come out with a uh, manual pull-down screen that, oh yeah, by the way, is your display. How cool would that be? And how much, you know, it's simpler integration. First of all, in, in, in classrooms, especially in K through 12 and, and some uh, smaller community colleges, you've got the projector sitting out here, you know, 15, 12 feet, and you've got a teacher trying to, a professor trying to, to instruct, and you've got the beam coming through them. And yes, you've got the, the, the short throws that, that are kind of eliminating that. But I, I just see a, a nice little curved screen, you know, a, a, a projection screen slash OLED display solving all those problems and being cool. So. Oh, it'd be cool. It would solve those problems. But now you're paying for an OLED screen and you're paying Draper to partner with them as opposed to paying for that projector and that screen, which cost you one-fifth of the hardware not if they make a lot of them if they make a lot of them the price goes down i'm at basic supply and demand never mind but there needs to be a demand before there needs to be i'm demanding it am i not enough dang it <laughs> tim we love you but i know you can sell i can sell at least two maybe three that's then damn it, How Samsung, build your factory. <laughs> exactly. How many OLEDs do you currently have in your residence? Because they're, they're freaking $50,000. Are you ding, kidding ding, ding, ding. me? I'm sorry, they're 30000 The Sony was, I can get a Sony for 30000 Now, keep in mind, it's not dead yet because LG oh, it's has dead. completely abandoned it. It's dead. It's, it, again, I still believe if you get people to believe to, to see it in a mobile platform, something they're carrying around in their pocket, on their tablet, if it reaches that kind of penetration and people are willing to invest in it in that way, they're going to wonder why their mobile phone and why their tablet provides a better display than their TV at home, and that's going to make the push. But it's got to get there first. Okay, but still, we're still going to have the same issue, right? Where, okay, you've got it in a 4-inch, 5-inch, you know, 7-inch, um, you know, Samsung Note, right, or, or the, the latest um, iPhone. And that's great. And, and, and this, is, this case takes us back to the manufacturing point. They can do those smaller form factors at, at a drastically reduced price. And yes, people are going to start wondering, but then we're going to have the same issue where they're not able to ramp up production and make this a financially viable 
display, right? That's that's what Samsung's running into. Yes, technically they can do it, but back to your point, Josh, the price is still going to go up. And yeah, you know what? Twenty years ago, you to, to buy a plasma, you were going to pay twenty thousand dollars. And I, I don't know if it's a it's a change in mindset or, or what, but twenty years ago, early adopters had no problem doing that. And I guess that's where I was point put you know pinning my hopes and dreams on for OLED is that those still early those early adopters adopters would still be willing to pay twenty and thirty thousand dollars for a really great display, and eventually manufacturing would would catch up and they would be able to, to lower the price. And it just simply hasn't happened for whatever reason. Well, it's and again, price is the big thing. Call yeah. it the recession. Call it whatever you want. People aren't willing to spend the money on those kinds of luxury items. But the other, yeah. the other format that you brought up was digital signage, and I could see it in terms of super large format displays. Thinking stadiums, thinking, you know, arenas, places new new TV. Yeah, where you're going to be hanging these things at a center scoreboard, or you're going to be hanging these things. Uh, outside because then you can shape it to be whatever you want. You can really have a lot more flexibility with that display, but it's still got to get to that point first where there is a demand for it. And this is one of those products that it was, look at this really cool thing that we've made. This is amazing. This is fantastic. We've done, we've improved display quality X-fold. Okay, who wants it? And there was just crickets. Uh, other than guys like us, where we saw it and said, this is amazing, this is incredible, look at what we can do with this, look at the opportunities, look at what it's doing, and how improved the image quality is, and when we, and I mean, we go out and we show it to people, and it's like, okay, well, that's nice, but why does that TV cost 10 times what that TV costs? I think when... when That factor is still the big one. Well, I I used to teach a a music education class, in St. Louis, and, and every person I ever showed that the the and I'll put links to this on on the website on the show notes. Uh, there's a couple different OLED YouTube videos that have been around for good lord oh eight oh nine maybe. Um, every person I show this to are flabbergasted, right? They it's not oh well. It's like holy crap, you know I could take a sledgehammer and, and, and beat the bejesus out of my my cell phone. Cool, awesome, sign me up, you know and the. Um, the the Samsung commercial that they released last year that had you know the ubiquitous uh, hipster technologist that had his oversized um, I, um, pad you know t- um, technology pad and then the guy shows up and he flips his little he flips his Samsung out and it's a tablet and then he folds it up and it's a cell phone those two, you people you put, you show people that and they're like holy cow that is awesome I would like one and then they get to the price issue <laughs> uh, so. I don't think it's the technology so much as it, it is as it is, it is the price, and I think Josh, you kind of hit something on on the head here with the recession that people are still kind of gun shy when it comes to parting with their money, at least large amounts of their money. Yeah, uh, Mr. Fergoza, where does OLED go from here? Is this you know is it as I fear the death knell for it, or like Josh says, LG still in it and and they're not quite dead yet. Well, I mean, I, I love LED. I remember when you know we covered it with uh, at CES, and we were talking about the Sony version mm-hmm. of OLED. I remember, it, you Crystal. know, they had they had flown the two prototypes out, and they had somebody guarding it the entire time. Um, what were they calling it? The was it Crystal? Crystal, Crystal. Yeah. Yes, yes. They're Crystal displays, and then Sony kind of went, oh yeah, like forget about that. Don't mind us. We don't want it here. <laughs> well, then they partnered with <laughs> then they partnered with Panasonic, and then they dropped that too. Right. You know, I, I 
I keep beating this drum. I, I, I feel like I'm, I, I am continually being the forecaster that I need to get out of my industry because it is mobile, 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 you know, it, it's smaller form factors. I mean, the one thing that I keep thinking about is, you know, we're just talking about, well, it's a $10,000 display. We're going to enter the age of the $1,500 phone and the $400 TV. Mm. You know, there's going to be that. We're seeing it already. You know, I mean, think about it. The whatever my new iPhone is, you know, with without the subsidy from from AT&T, I think it's like nine hundred dollars. You know, consider that, you know, again, where technically it's free for two years because I signed up with AT&T, but it's a nine hundred dollar piece of hardware. You could buy two plasmas for that and people are shelling it out willingly every year to two years. There, there is a significant shift that occurs in terms of how people are relating with their technology. You know, again, I've got a 42-inch over there sitting in the corner. I'm sitting at my desk. You know what I wind up watching my streaming on most of the time? My iPad yeah. sitting next to the side because it's easier because I can reach it and, and away I go. And I do this for a living. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it, you know, and there's a little blurb in Ted's article at the very bottom when he goes, but Samsung is considering looking at smaller to mid-sized screens. Of course they are. You know, just in terms of the production quality and, and 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 everything else, it's easier to make it smaller. You can make much more of it smaller. You know, I mean that's it's always, you know, the, the I think when Panasonic first started with their large um, plasmas, you know, they said, well, we've got the factory where we can make a 103-inch plasma. So the minute we could get the glass that big, well, 42-inch TVs dropped because we could get four of them within that same piece of glass, basically. Yeah. You know, that that's where you saw it, it going. That was kind of always the traditional model. Make it as big as you can, and the smaller stuff gets cheaper because you're working out all the kinks in the production and tooling up and everything else. But the investment in the factories at this point to be able to invest in them and tool up, they're just not getting the returns on it anymore. You know, Sony's approach, you know, their their new approach now is like, yeah, we're not doing the mid-market. We're going ultra-luxury with our stuff, you know, with the new Bravia stuff, their 4K. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Um, and who else, and, and what happens? You've got Apple that sells 100 million devices of these over the course of two quarters. Um, you know, all of the assembled Android devices, you know, Again, another 100 million devices over, say, a six-month period. Think about those numbers. Why would a manufacturer in their right mind go, yeah, if we're lucky, we maybe sell 6,000 of these this year? Yeah. You, you know, so, so, the, so, you know, there's this diversion of the worlds. Yeah, you know, is digital signage, all of these things from a commercial standpoint, does that work? Yes, if you have established players who are committed to that market. And I think that's what's going to happen is that I think some of these manufacturers are just going to say, you know what, we're going to concede this market to somebody. We're going to let either a Chinese manufacturer come in or somebody else come in who is having that curved display or your menu signage or whatever it happens to be that's more utilitarian. Because again, somebody's starting up a little sandwich shop down the street if you're telling them the difference between how wonderful OLED is or a digital signage piece that they can lease for four ninety nine a month, it, I mean, th- that's the economics of it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think from a pure standpoint, you know, does it break my heart? Yes, I've been waiting to get one. I've been waiting for the price to, to come down. I really, really want one. But at this point, I, I kind of view that I'm going to see it on a tablet much, much sooner than I'm ever going to see it on something that I would put in my living room. 
and, and I and I think I, I agree with you. I would I would be okay with that, right? Because again, the colors of OLED, the the I mean, just the, the pure, the reds and the black, I mean, everything about it is that the colors are, are more vibrant, they're more true. Um, but I would be okay with that because, like Rich said, nine times out of ten when I'm watching something, it's on the tablet, and our kids are doing that just natively. I mean, I. You know, our kids would, you know, Rich, you're using it the same way. Would rather watch it on an iPad or a, or a, um, you know, an Android device, you know, a tablet, rather than watching it on a TV. Because again, they can control it. It's easier to navigate, and they can just go right to whatever it is they want to watch. And let's not mistake that as as more and more universal over-the-air Wi-Fi becomes available, and the pipes fatten up, you're going to see these huge spikes again coming through. We don't need over-the-air signals or satellite signals or any of these services that we used to mm -hmm. anymore. And, and that's the technology shift. The technology shift is forcing that. The reason why mobile and these other devices hadn't taken off originally, because again, Apple had the Newton. I had a... <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, think about it. But I, I had a um, Palm, or not yep. even Palm. It, it was uh, the... Tree, what did they call it? The one with all the buttons on it. I mean, Palm had their versions. Well, of Palm it. I mean, had were... Palm had a Palm had a wireless in the in the late nineties. They had a wireless that you could sync wirelessly. But then they had a phone. Their first their first phone was called the Trio, and it the Trio. Have, that's yeah. it. That's exactly right. Yeah. And but again, the technology, the speed to be able to get. Could you imagine trying to stream video on a little two and a half inch rectangular screen that was half of it was a keyboard? <laughs> and the and and the colors yeah. were green, green and green and yeah. light green. So, yeah. So you know, again, it's 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 not just one thing that we're seeing. I mean, there's so many other items that are factoring. And and, and Josh, I mean, you're seeing it. I mean, we see it more than any place else. I think around here, you know, because again, it just there there's so many different options. And again, let's not let's take into account. Let's let's find out what happens with Aereo in the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. Right. And I'm just going to twist the knife here at the end of it, because when it boils down to it, uh, let's not forget that effectively the, the word we keep hearing when it comes to display technology is commoditization. Oh, whatever. Twisting that knife on you there. Thank you. Bit, but, I mean, when you can walk into a Best Buy, and believe me, there, there are display manufacturers that are currently in the process of looking at putting headquarters in the Silicon Valley region. And when these bids come out and every single one of them says, oh, display provided by, display is OFE. Okay, great, you guys make it. We're surprised, if it's not OFE, we're surprised. You know, and simultaneously, you know, other technology that they make, we're supposed to sell them and it's got their name on it. It's kind of like, that's weird. But <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we, we see this with, with headquarters that are being built and headquarters that are being developed. It's, it's, it, you can go into a Best Buy, you can go into a Price Club, a Costco, a Sam's Club, any electronics store across the country, and you can pick up a display for a few hundred bucks. I mean, up to 42 inches at this point. And when you get into the boardroom technology, I mean, when you're getting into these smaller and small, smaller boardrooms and these huddle rooms that are very popular, you don't need massive displays anymore. And the mobile is, I mean, everybody relies on their devices. We're never without a te an electronic tether at this point. And that, Rich is, I, I completely agree with Rich with the fact that that's where innovation and development is going to begin because that is where people are having the most interaction with their technology. 
is they're going to start pitching that faster than they're going to be looking at the large format because people are too busy looking down to actually see this giant screen that they're about to walk into. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add even one more thing on top of what Josh was saying. Right now we're on a Google Hangout. The three of us are in front of displays. We're not in front of TVs, video conferencing units, where we could theoretically, as as this changes, be doing this all in front of tablets with one another. Oh, and we have. I mean, we've had more than one guest have to do it on, on an iPad. Uh, and you know, and the, you know, the, the constant rallying that I keep hearing from the commercial crowd is, oh, you know, it's got to be this. It's got to be reliable. We require this. There's reduced expectations in the corporate world these days because of the price. And... Often I start hearing, you know, I can afford to be optimistic. I don't need it to always work because I can always default to my tablet, to my phone, to XXX. You know, they've got all of these things backing up. And so for me, <laughs> you know, again, maybe I'm not popular about it, but other, but other than like maybe government or something where like lives are at stake, the commercial argument, it, it doesn't fly with me anymore. I keep hearing it and I'm like, that's not a valid argument. That's a wish. No, commercial AV has gone the way of the MP3. We just need it to be Oh, come on. All right, here's, okay. <laughs> Slight backstory. I wrote a piece in, in commercial, or for commercial integrator that said, you know, don't don't go down the commoditization road. Uh, I was talking with, with a buddy of mine that, that works for a speaker manufacturer who took issue with, with me saying that, that speakers are commodities. And he made, a good, he made a good point, and I wrote it in my piece that, you know what, all of these guys have valid... Um, all of these companies have valid value, right? It's, it's our job, and, and this Josh wrote on the on the blog that took issue with it, that it's our job as integrators to sell that value. Now, yes, that you can go to Sam's or to Costco and get two, you know, two sixty-inch displays and a big bag of, of beef jerky for fifty bucks. You can do that, absolutely. But to, to Rich's point, and he mentioned the government, but there, there are certain, uh, I shouldn't say certain, but there, there are companies that they want it to work when they want it to work. And if it doesn't, then it's, beho- you know, it's beholden to us as integrators to tell them why it doesn't um, and to explain to them along the way the benefits and the drawbacks of choosing the commoditization road, you know. Um, yes, certain products have become quote unquote commoditized when you decide on a product based on price. That is almost the textbook definition of it. However, we as integrators can pull that back a little bit and educate. Uh, doesn't mean that they're always going to take our side. It doesn't always mean that they're going to listen to us, but it's our job to educate. And that, I guess that's where my piece was going. Go ahead, John. Uh, let me, uh, now to defend <laughs> myself on this as a detractor of this comment, I didn't say you were wrong. Okay. I said it wasn't the industry yes. who was commoditizing our product. I said it was the customers. Yeah, and I agree and, with that. And but I said with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> now, with all due all, respect, you old fart. <laughs> it also, in fairness, as a response to that on my website this week, I published an entire editor, uh, educational info article about how to select proper speakers yes, for an application based yeah. on specifications. And, so. and, and, and here's the thing. We got guys like me and, and, and people who are, who are coming up in the industry are going to read that and take that into a bid meeting and say, you need this and based on this and this and this. And they're going to look at you and goes, no, nah, we'll just take some bows. Thanks for it. <laughs> can, I, can I have one of those qualms over there? That, yeah. That's five bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> 
don't don't you sell can you get this for like five or ten bucks a piece you know i don't care how many wattages is or you know the the load or i know a guy <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's let's talk about our friends over at mid-atlantic for a second guys let's uh let's where's the where am i going here ah there it is there's their brand new spanking website uh, MiddleAtlantic.com is 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 proud and and, and a, a proud sponsor of AV Nation and AV Week. Um, they got a new website and uh, and uh, Becky over at MiddleAtlantic sent it to us this week and totally redesigned, totally reimagined. They've got tons of stuff, videos that you can go uh, check out. Stuff they've got unique market solution sections where you can um, either it's AV security, uh, AV uh, you know, resi or, or commercial broadcast, uh, structured cabling, education applications. Basically, you tell them what your application is, and then they have a wizard and walk you through it. It's very cool. Uh, a live chat feature, which probably isn't happening right now because it's on a Saturday, but you know, normal business hours, you can you can chat with someone. All sorts of stuff, very easy to, to navigate. Uh, when you go to middleatlantic.com, uh, you can go to the original site as well as to their new site uh if you'd like um it's entirely up to you uh there's the the new site right there it's very very cute so um go to middleatlantic.com uh tell them that uh that aviation sent you there middleatlantic.com what great systems are built upon all right uh and actually middle atlantic is 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 one of the sponsors of of the aviation uh av tweets uh tweets tweet up uh, which, if you're going to Infocom this year, uh, is on Wednesday, June 18th, uh, between 4.30 and 6.30 in room in 217. Um, don't get that confused, because that's actually also our booth number, um, which is very convenient. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in 217, just remember that number for both. So uh, come by, say hey, have some free drinks and food, and you can win a projector and some other stuff. So... Uh, I think my buddy Michael is going to get a pair of momentums from Sennheiser. So, uh, all right, let's talk about Extron for a second here. And uh, the reason for getting this is because, and it, it, Rich actually, Rich is on our control show, State of Control. We probably should have talked about this week. Uh, talked about it this week when we recorded. Extron has their new Extron Certified Control Professional, and they are moving in the direction. And I'm not making this up. They are moving in this in, in the direction of the Crestron and the AMX certified programmers, the, the independent guys uh, like Rich. Um, so Rich, first question is, what is Extron thinking and, and, and why are they going down this road of, of the independent programmer uh, road? I think because uh, a lot of times in specs you'll see, you know, system X or system Y and then they'll require a certified programmer or a certified engineer or somebody else and Extron wants to be able to join the party. You know, I, I, it's it's um, they're late to the party in terms of seeing that software is the road that they need to go down because they see the writing on the wall. You know, the days of the analog switcher, the days of the hardware encoder, decoder, all of the gazintas and gazautas. <laughs> you know, I, and again, like you know, I mean, we said it a couple of times. The last business that I would want to be in is in the um, you know in in the switching business. You know, in the existing switching business, yeah. because we're we're seeing it already. You know, I mean, again, it's Josh already sees it. You know, we already see it coming down the line. I mean, there's up and comers. I mean, look at what um, you know some of the other companies are able to do with software solutions already over standard IP. You know, is it great? Is it completely reliable? No, but it's getting there. And I think Extron is saying, you know, 
we need to move over to, towards finding ways to keep our product in there and also finding a way for our dealers to be able to leverage themselves in there. Because again, for their dealer list, you know, if they have an Extron certified control professional, it can be a venue for them for existing and new system or for new systems, but it might be a venue for them to come back into their existing analog system. That's what I see it as is, you know, being able to pitch this at coming back to their old systems and saying, by the way, you know, you have a list of certified professionals who can come in and spruce your stuff up. Hmm. Um, that, that's how I read into it. You okay. know, it's it's really a matter of their new product that they've got, but probably leveraging some of their older stuff to be able to say, you know, we, we now have tools that we can use with this and you don't need to go to a Crestron or an AMX or whoever it happens to be. You know, we now have the tools and the people to be able to do this without an additional significant investment on your part in hardware. Um, and, you know, I mean, I love Extron, but their they're, they're, they're model, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I, I hope that they continue. <laughs> okay, so let me, let me ask you this, because um, we're going to get into some control stuff for a second. AMX and Crestron have, let, let's call them certified programmers, right, where you take a test, you go through several layers of training. Uh, Crestron's independent programmers are called CSPs. I believe AMXs are called ACEs. And now Extron has this. Should companies like Control 4 and Aurora and other ones that have control in, in you know control lines, should they go down this same road where, you know what, you're a Control 4 house and whether it's a resi spec or it's a, it's a commercial spec so you can say, I'm a Control 4 certified programmer. Is, that, is there value there? I, I think it's an apples and oranges comparison with okay. somebody like, you know, it's Control 4 as an example. You know, we talked about it in the, the um, State of Control show. Um, there is a difference between um, purpose-driven code, mm -hmm. which is, you know, starting from scratch and building something for an end result, and assembled or configured code. And... I think that Extron still is focusing on that purpose-driven side where, you know, we've got these tools that we give our dealers, programmers, and we allow them to kind of manage it on our way through. So a company like Control Force, Savant, dot, 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 down the line. Um, those companies are saying, you know, we, you know, you shouldn't have to have a $100,000 a year programmer on staff. You shouldn't need that to make these devices work. We're taking the pain out of that for you um, because we have these modules or it's configured and we've got the commercial brand and we've got the resi side of it. So I, I think that those companies, it would actually get away from their key message, which is this isn't about programming. This is about, you know, just getting the parts to work. Okay. Extron, you know, is still primarily commercial. You know, it's still going to be in schools, in boardrooms, in um you know, military bases, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're going to need some dedicated professionals for that um, who are, who, uh, you know, again, in a bid spec, you know, just to be able to cover their bases, to be able to say, yes, I've, I've got this. Okay. Did you say $100,000 a year for a programmer? I, I'm, I'm, I need to, I need to talk to my agent. So, <laughs> uh, Josh, um, uh, where's, where's Extron going with this? I mean, is it like, like Rich said, just so they can play with the, so the, the, the two other bigger, uh, too bigger, but the two other big uh, control uh, companies in in the space by having a certified uh, programmer line. You know, it's funny. I actually uh, I've already heard about this program twice from Extron because they mentioned <laughs> it. Are they asking you to do it? 
They're not asking me to do it. They're asking some of the guys that, at my my company to do it. But um, they showed up a couple months ago to mention it and say, hey, we're going to be doing this because we uh, we have programmers that are sort of in their little inner circle at Extron, and they've been poking them going, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? If they threw a party and had a booth, I might show up and do it. Oh! Wow. They have a booth at, at UB Tech. Go ahead. Yeah, you know they show up. To, they show up to other shows. They show up. No, they show up to Vegas during Infocom. They never mind. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> well, in addition to that, I also went down for their certified technology two-day training session, mm-hmm. and they brought this up. Um, and of course, the entire time I was there, I was you know the thorn in the side of the trainer for every general statement he made that was wrong. Um, but. We were. They got into this thing, and basically, what they were talking about was, well, we want to provide you with. We we don't want to alienate the extra dealers that we have, and so we're going to create this uh, this tiered system of. Well, we know there's people out there that need basic needs, and and we want to be able to provide in a, a much more closer equivalent to what Extron and Crestron have, because, or excuse me, what AMX and Crestron have, because Extron is being left out of the party of higher end control systems. Yes. Uh, and so that's where this this whole came in, this whole idea came in. But it's a tiered system. You have the entry level, which is going to give you a certain amount of control capability and going to give you a certain number of devices. And then you have the certified pro, the, the, the GC pro version, which requires in-person training at an, at an extra facility for multiple days. I think it's two or three and you have to send your guy there for two or three days to be trained and to be certified in this, and then you have the access to the more sophisticated systems. So it's kind of this teasing little plan of, well, we'll let you kind of experience it, and then once you've gotten a feel for it, and we feel confident that you have the significant number of t- a significant amount of time in the field doing this programming, we will allow you to come into our training session and give you the training to be a pro person in order to have multiple, dev- in order to expand on what these systems are capable of and give you a more in-depth feature set. But hang on, because that, that, that's that's no different than what Crestron does, um, with the exception of it's not two or three days, it's three classes and then you have to take a test. Uh, I'm not, I've not gone through AMX's process yet, so, uh, so forgive me, I can't speak to them specifically, but I mean, Crestron is you've got three classes and, and to get into the second class, you have to write code and, and be kind of invited into sure. the second class. And then to get into the third class, you've just got to have you know so many months of, of in the field training. Um, so that aspect is, is, is similar. The difference yeah. though is, is the fact that with Crestron, your company still has access to all their product line. With Extron, my understanding, is that you are limited to the product line until you have somebody that is an ECP, the Extron uh, certified professional. Is that right? You are you are limited in the GC Pro aspect, okay. which is they're they're super advanced. You don't have access to that until you have a fully certified individual. Okay, which means that you are limited to a control a single control processor, which is capable of talking. To, I think it's what is it eight IP addresses uh, on a six, system. unless they've expanded it. Uh, it, it's eight or six, something like. I, I think it, they're doing this one in eights, if I recall correctly. Okay. It's eight, and then when you get to pro, it's thirty-two. Okay. And but in addition to that, it's uh, while they do, while this does provide for BYOD capability, it's still operating on the mirroring system until you get to that GC Pro aspect, 
where then you can finally get into because and that because that's really where this is headed is the BYOD. They're going after that because they don't have a BYOD solution with all of this stuff until now. Because every time it was a BYOD solution before, it was a mirroring it was mirroring whatever your Extron touch panel was in the room. Now with these link licenses built into this whole certification program and the GC Pro aspect, now you can finally have pure independent GUI on oh, wow. a BYOD device. But that won't happen until you go through the training process. Is so it, it's is it, it driven by the processor, um, like AMX's and, and Crestron's can be, where you can load it on the processor, or do you have to have it loaded on your on your touch panel? Do you know, or on your on you your on your on your device? You load the five dollar app on your device. So that's, uh, mm. I mean, again, I have, uh, this is because I already went through the two day, oh, yeah. like full Extron training course of, you know, let me show you, let us show you all of our product to which my response is, if you show me anything audio, I'm going to take it and throw it back at you because it's terrible. It's um, not terrible. It's just, it's, it's the only amplifier I know that comes with a free white noise generator. Oh, jeez. Have you ever used their DSP? I don't like their DSP because I hate the layout. Well, I, I, I it's, 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 a, it's a static, it's a, a fixed configuration, which is one thing I don't like about it. But I have used it um, in some education applications. And I actually, I did like the DSP. Um, again, the only thing I didn't like about it was the fact that it was fixed config. Um, the, as the GUI on it, their DSP was the first time I had ever had to go back and actually think about signal flow since the first time I got my hands on a Yamaha... PM5D, wow. which was when it first came out. I've never had to think about signal flow and how it operates through a device until I looked at the extra on DSP and just went, what the hell did you do? <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to have Welcome to... our next new sponsor, Extra on Electronics. They wouldn't talk to me with a 10-foot pole. Now, keep in mind, I've got guys who love their DSP and think it's But wonderful. I told you guys I with all due respect. I hate, I hate the GUI. I hate it. 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 And apparently, he doesn't like their, their white noise generator, also known as their amplifiers. So That's the rule, right? If I say with all due respect. All right. Uh, you know what, guys? That's going to do it for today. Um, with us has been... Josh, I hate Extron Amplifiers Shrago <laughs> from soundreason.org. Uh, his uh, class number is IS. No, say it again because I've written it down wrong. You can attend my course at Infocom. It is Audio DSP Fundamentals, course number IS043 on June 19th, which is Thursday at 10.30 a.m. I do not know my room number yet, but I know seats are starting to fill up a little bit. Last I heard, I had 25 signed up for my course. And how many does, do you know how many? Is it like 40 or 100 or? It depends on what room they stick me oh, in. Okay. Uh, the last last time I taught at at Infocom, I taught mass notification uh, system design for audio uh, back when NFPA seventy two was still a thing, and uh, I had probably twelve attendees in a room that would seat maybe thirty. But oh. I, there's also rooms there that will seat close to a hundred. So they gave me. I have to be thankful for Inf, to Infocom and, and express my gratitude because they gave me a prime slot. Uh, on a Thursday morning, not first class of the day, to see if we can get some attendees in there for this. So I, I'm very grateful to Infocom for that. Yeah, absolutely. And how can people get a hold of you or or uh, your stuff? 
you can find me on soundreason.org. You can find me on the tweets at at jsrego, S-R-A-G-O. You can find me on LinkedIn at Josh Srego. Uh, you can also find my work at the Red Band Group, uh, as well as uh, the Infocom All Voices blog. Very cool. All right. Uh, and also with us is Uncle Richie, Rich Fregosa, fregosadesign.com. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And how can people find you or your uh, musings? The uh, assorted social media outlets. Um, Twitter, uh, at rfregosa. You can find me on uh, Google+. Plus. My website, fregosadesign.com. Uh, I am a contributor on CE Pro as well, so cepro.com, uh, where I will hopefully be seeing you at Infocom and hey. uh, with all your other Rabble rousers. And uh, the Facebooks, and pretty much, you know, type my name in in Google, and somehow it'll show up. And there's some kind of cool stuff coming up with uh, my name associated to it that uh, once it's ready to go, it'll be kind of fun. Very cool. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Don't don't follow me. Uh, it's it's not very exciting. But go by the website if you would, please. Uh, at avnation.tv. Avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. We have a weekly av apps show um matt scott and, and phil cordell um they well they review av apps uh rich is on a, another show that we have called uh, state of control we we cover honestly the control and automation industry we've got an education focused show all sorts of others so go by the website uh if you are going to infocom a couple different things our booth as i mentioned before is at n217 n217 we're in the north hall um who did I say we were at? Well, we're on the opposite side of Microsoft. How about that? So if you go in the North Hall, hang a left for Microsoft, hang a right for us. Uh, we're also going to be uh, recording AV Week there and a number of other different shows. And uh, thanks to a bunch of sponsors, Vadio and Middle Atlantic and AMX and ASK Proxima and Extreme Networks and some others, uh, we're having an AV Tweeps tweet up uh, on Wednesday, uh, June 18th, between 4.30 and 6.30 in room in 217 you go up the escalator there it's on the right in 217 so uh, come by say hi we've has, we'll have some prizes to give away so uh, and also thanks to middle atlantic for sponsoring aviation uh, and their new customers focus website middle atlantic products what great systems are built on thanks so much for listening thanks so much for watching this has been AV week